It's Song Talk Radio. Welcome to Song Talk Radio, the show with songwriters talking to other songwriters about the craft of songwriting. We share tips, tools, and techniques, and together we all become better at writing songs. I'm your host, Neil Modi, and with me, my co-host, Phil Emery. How you doing, Phil? I am, I am, well, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. I'm a little discombobulated, to be honest with you, but it's been a very discombobulating last few days. Discombobulation is good as long as you recognize the source of the discombobulation <laughs> and you realize that you can decombobulate the discombobulation. I'm not sure. I have a little story to tell you, but uh, we'll do it after the intro. <laughs> okay, do it after. <laughs> Sounds good. And uh, everyone else, please send in your comments and questions and your discombobulations to at Song Talk Radio on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Feedback at songtalk.ca for the email, and we'll share your thoughts on the show. And please visit songtalk.ca to see the show post for this episode, to find links to resources we mentioned, and to download lyric and chord sheets to follow along with the songs that we feature. And uh, before we get to uh, today's special guest, uh, just a couple of uh, updated tips and things. Um, something I've been playing around with, I mentioned on the podcast a few weeks ago, I think just after the uh, uh, holidays, that um, discovered this new virtual singing uh, software, uh, Dreamtonic, uh, is the company and they make this thing called synthesizer v which has various sound banks and and as much as you know we've talked about every time we talk about home recording and things like that we always say you know you know you don't have to buy every plugin in the world but albeit i've been throwing you know a good amount of cash at this company now <laughs> to to get their to get their sound banks i got the the uh english english singing male vocalist as well as the english speaking female vocalist and it's turning into a really cool uh, tool just to just to play around with 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 things and and it's actually a heck of a lot easier um even from a songwriting point of view because you know you're you're just playing around with with notes and and if you want to change a lyric you don't have to you know set up another microphone again and re-record a vocal or get someone else in the room to redo that that melody or redo that thing you can just you can play around you can try things and you can change lyrics and you can see how it sings better and it's kind of it's kind of an interesting um interesting exercise in that regard because i found that what what i'm doing right now is i'm actually revisiting a song that i wrote like 10 years ago and i jettisoned the original chorus because i never liked it and i rewrote the chorus the other day and and even even as i was tweaking around with this vocal settings and stuff like that in this plugin i was like well maybe this lyric will work a little bit better <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Awesome. you know so you just continue tweaking and I guess, you know, that's that's the danger of home studio work is that you can just keep on going on and on and on forever. Yeah. That <laughs> At a certain point you just gotta, you know, decide that you're done. But um but still it's turning into an interesting, interesting exercise and a and a fun new tool to work with. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. The reason I'm discombobulated is yeah. So on a personal note, um, everyone, I mentioned that we had found a, a kitten in a cemetery a few months yes. back in November. Right. And um, took her to the vet, and she was a little female and a really wonderful little kitten. We called her Sadie, and she was having mm -hmm. lots of fun playing with her uh, brothers. We took her into us uh, for to get spayed. They gave her a, a blood test um, two days before, so we brought her in to get spayed. And the vet came out and said, oh, by the way, you know, Sadie's a boy. Oh, no. And even though she's been to multiple vets, uh, actually two different vet practices and probably about four, four or five vet visits because because uh, Sadie had actually hurt her leg. Um, turns out she's a boy. Her mm. testicles just dropped and 
So it's been very odd. Suddenly you had this little girl kitten, and now it's a little boy kitten named Charlie. Oh, you changed your name to Charlie? Yeah, well, it seemed kind of weird. <laughs> to call him Sadie, yeah. Maybe we're calling, calling him Sadie, and he's going around going, who the hell's this Sadie person? There's only three cats. Oh, boy. So, yeah. You need so, to pick an androgynous name. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're trying. Very, so very crazy. That's, Gee whiz. Yeah. Okay, that's, yeah, that would be discombobulating yeah. for, for, for Sadie, least of all. <laughs> or for Charlie, now. Yeah. But on the music front, um, yes, uh, quite a while ago, we did a special show on songwriting software. There was various uh, rhyme generators and mm -hmm. uh, rhyme librarians on the uh, internet, and we reviewed a company called a uh, program uh, program called Rhyme Genie mm -hmm. by Adolamic Software. And it was quite good, and it came with a free software that where you could keep track of your lyrics and uh, all the inf various bits of information of your songs called Tunesmith. That was a free add-on. Uh, it was good, but it was it was not cheap. It was about um, I think seventy nine ninety nine US at the time. Mm -hmm. It is now uh, twenty four ninety five US. Nice and uh, Rhyme Genie, and we'll have the URL in the show notes. I use it a lot. Actually, I use it a lot for copywriting mm. because when you're trying to find, often you'll use a thesaurus to find different words and thesauruses can be very stiff and Rhyme Genie is very suggestive by mm. its process. So actually for copywriting, it's been really good. So anyways, that's Rhyme Genie now down to $24.95. I've picked up my copy and uh, it's well worth a look. There is a demo version available. Cool, cool. And just to be clear, when, when you say copywriting, you're not talking about copyright as in legal copyright. You're talking about no. writing. Yeah, <laughs> writing, because I do a lot. I, I, I write copy for ads. Yeah, yeah, writing, write, the writing of copy. <laughs> yeah, and um, in the capital C, I suppose, or maybe look, I don't know yeah. what it is. Anyways, it's, it's one of the C's, and either way, it's, um, it's really useful for that, surprisingly useful. So definitely go in for that. One yeah. issue, though, uh, the free version of it comes with this program called Tunesmith, mm -hmm. which is great. You can put in your lyrics. You can put in, um, you know, who's when you've written it, if you've submitted it anywhere, it lets you track all that stuff is really good. Something I found out, unfortunately, though, is it's very hard to get that information out of Tunesmith. Oh, so if you ever want to export it into a CSV file or something else doesn't work terribly well so that's oh, one of the bad things about tunesmith but okay. if you don't mind using that one program it's it's pretty handy i guess yeah yeah cool okay and um yeah i'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes and yeah. um uh and you, you found an interesting article about uh physicists unraveling a mystery about jazz it, uh, that you sent yes me. what's that all about so it is we got this from the bobby Winsky, uh, website. He also has a really good podcast about the music industry, not really about songwriting, it's sort of more of a general thing, but mm. definitely one of the old hands of the music industry. Mm. And what these, uh, Professor Theo Gesell, who is a retired physicist who's uh, piled his trade at the highly regarded Max Planck Institute in Germany, um, where he spent decades uh, studying the, physical of the physics of synchronization mm. as opposed to the physics of speaking. Like um, how the billions of neurons in your brain coordinate with each other. Uh, he's also a sax player, and he plays in a band with other physicists, and decided to take on the task of finding out precisely what swing is. Mm. What they did is, I think they looked at 450. 
50, 450, oh yes, 450 recordings of jazz soloists, mm. um, including performances by Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Charlie Parker, and others. And um, he found out that almost all of them were using tiny delays of the downbeat compared to the rhythm section. So in mm. other words, uh, whenever, wherever the one was for the rhythm section, the soloist would be behind as much as 30 milliseconds. What, is, what was surprising in these delays weren't random, but consistent based on the player's feel. Um, of course, when you're working on MIDI sequences and you're doing drums, you usually will delay the uh, drum, the snare between like 10 to 15 milliseconds. It'll kind of put it in the pocket a bit more. And, yeah. you know, you want to do the same thing with a bass drum to kind of give it a bit of, a, you know, to define that pocket. But um, what these sax players uh, did, you know, to get that wonderful sort of swing was to sort of pull back slightly. And 30 milliseconds is a long time mm -hmm. um, in music to pull back that first beat and to play slightly behind the beat. So when you're out there and, you know, doing your solos or doing that kind of thing, uh, try to actually be a little bit slaggy behind the beat and see how that works out for you. I think that could be a kind of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really fascinating that they went to that level of detail. And, and that is an important distinction because it's like, you know, in a world these days, especially in, in pop music and stuff like that, everything is quantized to death yes. and everything's quantized to the grid, very straight, no swing. Uh, you know, that's, that's a broad generalization, but yeah, that's <laughs> you know, true. Tends, tends to be tends to be the thing. Right. And I, and I say for myself, even when I'm recording, you know, MIDI based things off my keyboard, I, I do tend to quantize quite a bit when it comes to the rhythm section. So bass, drums, you know, piano, guitar will get like rhythm guitar will get uh fairly heavily quantized but solos and vocals and things like that like this the anything that's that's a melody on top of it yeah i tend to not quantize at all or if if anything is just nudging a thing here or there and sometimes yeah it's a little bit behind the beat and sometimes a little bit ahead of the beat and it, and it sounds natural yes and 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 that's the interesting thing about about this so-called like i've noticed in some quantizing functions and things like that they have like a random button mm. and and it's like random is not the same as humanistic or humanized no. right because because like you say like if dizzy gillespie was consistently behind the beat then for this particular song then it just felt right and and it just kind of you know it, it, it like you say it puts it in that pocket puts it in that groove but there is a consistency to it and that's the that's the humanized part of it but that's if you were true. to randomize that <laughs> it's probably not going to sound um quite as human however and and this this is illuminated through what I was just talking about, but that vocal plugin, a lot of that vocal plugin that I'm using, the virtual singer, is AI driven. And artificial intelligence is is getting there. Like it's really, really getting there to the point where, you know, they they, you know, it could introduce quote unquote humanized functions that are actually more humanized as right. opposed to random. Yes. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting thing to see if, you know, if some of this, you know offbeat kind of thing actually uh permeates into into popular music in some way yeah yeah no no it's good definitely but uh uh try being behind the beat a bit more it'll definitely kind of make things a bit groovier for you yeah okay um and you've got one little bit of uh, uh songwriter news yes um i guess we're getting to the time where a lot of the stars of the 60s and 70s will start passing away and of course, the very great uh, Burt Bacharach has mm -hmm. uh, passed away. And um, 
Of course, wrote tons of hit songs. Um, this guy's in love with you. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Yeah, very sad to see him pass on. But I guess such is such is the world of getting old. Yeah, American songbook legend, eh? I think one of the last great people of that stature. I mean, there's other people who are still great songwriters, but I don't mm-hmm. think quite sat at that level yet. Very mm-hmm. sad. So our condolences go to. Um, his family and friends, and basically the songwriting committee, uh, community. Okay. All right. Thank you, Phil. And um, moving on to the main event now. Uh, tonight, we're very happy to welcome Billy uh, Billy Lun, uh, principal songwriter of the UK-based rock band The Subways. And here's a taste of their song, All Right. singer, song, guitarist, songwriter, and producer of the UK-based rock band The Subways. The Subways released their debut album, Young for Eternity, in 2005, and they just released their fifth album, Uncertain Joys, on January 13th, 2023. Billy grew up on a swirling mix of Motown, rock, disco, dance, hip-hop, and pop, which he gently weaves into the band's own alternative rock sound. He writes and produces other artists' work, as well as the subways in the studio he's established in his hometown in the country of Hertfordshire. 2023 and 2024 are both shaping up to be exciting prospects as the subways look to tour uncertain joys the world over, writing the next album in the process. Welcome to Song Talk Radio, Billy. Thank you so much for having me. Great to have you on the show. Um, I think the most interesting thing about about the little intro you you gave us is writing your next album in the process. So you like while you're touring, you're writing the next album. I I, I, I feel like that was a thing that bands did, you know, a generation ago or so. I don't know. Do bands still do that or is that a special thing for you guys? Well, we're kind of um, frowned upon for doing that, especially in the UK community. I mean, I remember we did this television show. Um, it was about it was over a decade ago, but we were discussing writing our third album whilst we were touring our second album. And this singer songwriter turned to us and went, "Are you crazy? That's a stupid <laughs> idea." But for us, you know, being on the road and uh, you know being on the tour bus, being with the community that we've 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 created with our crew, uh, you know, we love being in the band together. Um, going to new cities, new countries, new continents, um, meeting new people, you know, uh, being in venues and having these amazing experiences every night. It's just kind of, um, it's very fertile with, yeah. uh, you know, potential uh, subjects to write about. But also you come across so many amazing artists on that journey. Uh, we like to book support bands uh local to the regions in which we're playing so we get to learn a little bit about the culture uh of the county or 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 maybe the state of where we are um and that is all kind of subsumed into the songwriting process and then hopefully we sort of come up with with something quite interesting but yeah we still do that you know it's hard work touring's hard work as you can probably hear in my voice i'm 
unbelievably tired. It's now four days since we uh, played our last show on uh, our first UK tour of 2023. Mm. Um, and I think it has something to do with uh, the pandemic and um, uh, not playing all that often over the last couple of years, but also a little bit to do with my age now. I'm not 25, mm. <laughs> you know. More. So when I'm diving off the stage or diving off speaker stacks or balconies and screaming my guts out every night, it takes just that little bit longer to get, mm-hmm. you know, to recuperate. Mm. So, um, yeah, yeah, we we like to um, use our sound checks as uh, means and ways of uh, testing out um new pieces of material i mean uh when we were writing our second record we were still touring in the u.s with um tom delong's uh not bling 182 angels and airwaves and taking back sunday and head automatica and i think we were playing in long beach we'd spent most of the tour coming up with three or four songs and we played soundcheck in long beach uh uh and we we tested out what ended up being the first single off our second record, All or Nothing, and it, this song called Girls and Boys. And as we're about halfway through the song, it, it, playing its finished version, we were really happy with it. All the bands just filed out into the arena and were just like, this is great. What's this? This isn't in the set. And we're like, this is a new <laughs> song. Thank you so much. And um, so, you know, uh, and then we tested it that night. And then, you know, uh, you get a sense of where the song's working, where it isn't working. And we're a very live band. You know, we are, our lifestyle is very much hitting the road. That's our, you know, the our primary aspect of the, being in this band is, is kind of the carnivalesque, the sanctioned chaos of the, uh, of the live gig, uh, mm-hmm environment so um yeah if and when we have to go into the studio to record what we have we kind of reluctantly shuffle in and and do our best (laughs) which is why i ended up you know producing a lot of our stuff because um i i felt a lot more comfortable being in control after the songwriting process is finished um uh, i'm a bit of a control freak like that but yeah we still we still write whilst we're on the road and um but that hasn't hasn't happened for a really long time now because we haven't released an album since 2015. Oh, so wow. um, yeah, it's been eight years since we last released a record. So uh, yeah, we're very keen. And we've got a new drummer as well, so we're very keen to get writing with Camille. It's interesting. There's been this real style now of everyone wanting to write in the studio. Mm. That you don't go into the studio with songs. You just go into the studio. You use the studio to write songs. Everyone wants to do that. And that was a very, I guess it was revolutionary in, in some certain ways, a certain time. I know Roxy Music, that's, you know, the Avalon album that was completely done in the studio. Whereas, you know, writing songs while on tour was the way that most classic bands did it. Because you're there, you're all together. You might as well, yeah. you know, work on new stuff. And I, I think you do get a different product out of it. Yeah, very much so. And I, I remember... There's a there's a Leicester based UK um, alternative band called Kasabian, and um, their first record uh, when they released it with BMG was was written in the studio. And I remember them telling me that that's the process of them, you know, writing their debut record. And that was so alien to me because. You know, I'd, we'd spent years playing venues, uh, mostly across London, but several across, you know, various parts of the UK. Um, and that's how we refined our sound. That's kind of how we found who we are and, you know, how we play our instruments um, and how we speak down the microphone and eventually how we sing down the microphone and how we relate to each other on stage, which is kind of a reflection of how we relate to each other 
in the rehearsal space and then off stage and you know that's kind of how we developed our personalities i we started the band when we were very young you know 14 15 and we've we've stayed the same members ever since apart from you know um my brother uh our ex-drummer josh uh he left after our fourth record because um he was very keen to start his own songwriting journey you know he's a, he's a very creative person um so when Kasabian said, yeah, the label just sent us into the studio with this producer and we just came up with the songs, that was that was mind-blowing to me. I it kind of gave me a little bit of an anxiety attack because I find the I, I find the recording studio sometimes quite a claustrophobic space. Um, I think that might have something to do with the fact that when I was growing up, I was moving all over the place with my family. My mum always said she had gypsy gypsy blood in her. So, yeah. you know, we were moving from house to house. And that's kind of why I think. I'm so at home with being on tour. I'm so used to kind of, you know, the wheels rolling and, and turning up in a new place and making new friends. I think I think that's a, I think it's important to recognize for 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 you and for the other band as well. Like what what works for you is mm. not necessarily going to be the thing that works for the other band and and you know, vice versa. So, you know, it's good to be able yeah. to recognize that and not just go with what, well, they're successful, so we're going to do what they did. Well, you got to find your own your own your own path. But um, okay. But speaking so speaking about control, then so you 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 are the primary songwriter. How much how much collaboration is there within the band, or do you sort of bring your songs to the band and they get arranged, or how does how does that work? Um, well, when I was younger, uh, say 17, 18, 19, when I was writing the first record, I was very much, you know, I, I think it had a lot to do with my my personal insecurities and anxieties in that, you know, I wrote the songs, I brought them to rehearsals. Therefore, I have like the final say, maybe in drum patterns that Josh would come up with, uh, yeah, bass lines that Charlotte would come up with. And the thing with uh, both of those two is they're not, like classically well charlotte was classically uh, trained in piano flute clarinet saxophone but the bass guitar was the first thing uh the first instrument she picked up and she was like you know i don't know anything about this instrument i'm just gonna feel my way through this so if i take a song 99 percent of bass players <laughs> not yeah it, it's a feeling thing isn't yeah, it, it is. uh, it's kind of the same with drums i think once yeah. you once you start playing the drums and uh, I've, I've had some drummers say that there comes a time when a flip a switch is flicked in your brain and you just get the rhythm mm -hmm. like you are just locked in and you've you know it doesn't matter how many patterns you know how many paradigms you practice you've got it because yeah. something in your brain has as uh, acclimatized and you, you, you kind of normative function now is playing the drums. And um, so, you know, when I take ideas to Charlotte and Josh, I'd be like very prescriptive. Mm. Um, and there would be some arguments about, you know, too much deviation away from the original idea that I had in my head. And um, I, I think because I was, I, I, I took on the responsibility of recording all our demos that we sent out to, uh the promoters at london venues so you know i i felt like i was shouldering a lot a lot of the burden therefore i maybe get more uh, of a final decision you know a final cut um uh decision on on how the song sounds so yeah very controlling until we got to record our first record with ian Brody in elevator studios in liverpool um, and it was my first experience of kind of opening the door to collaboration because all of a sudden someone else was at the console, someone else was making the aesthetic um, uh, decisions, and I was just there to perform the parts that I'd written. 
um, and maybe make some constructive uh, creative decisions towards mixing ideas, but very loosely because obviously I'm working with someone who's been producing songwriting and mixing for decades so it's Mm -hmm. definitely someone I should be listening to (laughs) and and after that I think I became a lot more uh, liberal minded about how the songs were constructed Um, that also had something to do with um, the kind of bands that we were touring with and listening to their records realizing that the report recording process doesn't have to be such uh, an overwhelming prospect I had a real um, anxiety about um the final recorded version of the song being epitomic of that Mm. song it being the everlasting version of that song Mm. um and i came to realize it doesn't have to be seen or envisioned in that in that way it can just be another version of the song a shadow of the song an afterlife of the song Mm -hmm. and i get to reclaim that song again and again each night we play it live on stage i get to Mm -hmm. make a sort of reclamation of that and and once i came to terms with that i became much more at ease with the idea of getting the song down on tape and that being a version of the song. And I think um, when it came to building the song um, as an ensemble piece with Charlotte and with Josh, uh, the doors were open then to go, okay, Josh, see what you can make of this. Or, okay, Charlotte, see what you can make of this, which is why, you know, our musicianship, uh, there's a yawning chasm between the first record and the second record um, because I'm kind of allowing their uniqueness to to, to shine through. Um, and there's something really to be said about trusting your bandmates, not just as musicians and performers, but as artists. Mm-hmm. Allow them to, to be artists. And uh, from that day forth, I was very much like, okay, so the idea that I come up with in my bedroom or my living room or my kitchen or when I'm walking down the street, that's great. That's interesting but it's only really a great piece of work or the best work it can possibly be when I'm in collaboration with these two fantastic other artists that make up the subways. Um, And I think that that ended up kind of uh, affecting my personality as well. I became a much calmer person to be around. Um, I had a lot of barriers up and I, we, we started off very young. We were touring the UK and eventually, you know, touring the world at a very young age. And as, as kind of a protective measure, I set up a lot of barriers around myself and, um, and I was very hands-on. Um, and as I got older and older, uh, obviously I think you become a bit more relaxed about everything as you get older. Um, but I think when you come into contact with people, like we came into contact with Butch Vig, the superstar legendary producer, they teach you implicitly so many incredible memories um, and uh, lessons. And um, uh, you can't help but disarm yourself and and kind of grow as a person, uh, which in turn only like fuels the fire of the creative process because i think the more air and the more heat and more light you get the more inspired you become uh, there was no way i was gonna continue to write albums with those barriers up you know with me shielding myself in from uh from all these things that were happening around me actually what i needed to do was to be more at ease with everything that was happening around me um and uh allow that to you know Mm -hmm. function as part of the songwriting process even if it doesn't 
contribute explicitly or directly in some fashion, it feeds into the the quotidian experience of what it is to be a songwriter, mm-hmm. even when songs aren't being written at the time. What is that process? What is your songwriting process? Are you a words first person, music first person, rest first person? Very much a, yeah, I'm, I'm a music first person. For me, there has to be a chord sequence. I have to have that anchor there. Um, and everything blooms from that. Um, preferably, I'll send some idea, uh, chord, a chord sequence or a chain of chord sequences with a melody over the top played on guitar or piano. Uh, um, to uh charlotte and now camille who's our new drummer um and then i let that be what it is you know um i like to have some sort of loose structure i very much have uh, a, a kind of like an abstract template uh, or, or an apprehension of a template that that i carry around with me in my head that doesn't have to be the way that the song ends up but it's a very handy tool to have to know where you envisage uh, envisage the song going eventually, mm-hmm. um, you kind of know how. You have any kind of idea, like what the song is about? At that, like, if you, if you write a particular chord sequence, you go, "This is kind of a happy thing, and it should be a happy lyric." Or, or do you just find words? Do you just like go that 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 and find a word that <laughs> sort of fits and then work? Which is what I certainly do. Is <laughs> yeah, I, phonetics are incredibly important. I think I don't mm. think enough attention is paid to the um, to the effect or the um, integ- uh, integral nature of phonetics in mm. in lyrics. I mean, their 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 origins are in poetry and and to some extent, like the more poetic forms of prose, um, which themselves are uh, are, are meant usually to be read aloud so consonants internal rhyme line that line end rhyme um uh, different kinds of uh, meter um syllabic um inflection and all that kind of stuff um Mm -hmm. they play a lot of part of, of poetics and i think um i'm very much drawn to the renaissance poetry of petrarch um, and a lot of the po- uh, poetry of the the Tudor court and and maybe some 18th century poetry. So it's very much formulaic in that it has a rhyme and a meter. So if I'm to write lyrics, then I like to have that structure built there for me. I love working to constraints. So, you know, if I all of a sudden have uh, some some sense of meaning welling up in me that needs funneling i'll I'll find a a constraint so i'll either say oh okay i'm going to write this in a petrarchan sonnet which is 14 lines and you know two quatrains and a sestet um Mm. or a shakespearean or 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 maybe just like you know four stanzas of four lines each and that 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 way when i'm working to those constraints uh i'm 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 crowbarring techniques in that Mm. lend themselves towards the poetic practice so when it comes to songwriting i like to have uh the chords and definitely like the shape of the melody the 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 rhythm of the melody can change you know sometimes um i have to throw entire lyric sections out because charlotte has come up with a fantastic rhythm on the bass guitar and i'm like i have to follow it I have to mirror that because it's just so wildly good. Um, uh, And, you know, that's another thing that I probably never would have done uh, before we, you know, worked on our first record. Um, 
but yeah, it's but it, do, a lot do, of the do times. Do you ever really find first. that that um, like I found this in the past for myself that when I write melodies and then I try to jam lyrics to fit the melodies, stuff has to inevitably change, and sometimes that's change a lot. And sometimes your melodies go because because depending on you know the pronunciation, the the cadences, and things like that, like it it you know you get emphasis on the wrong syllables, kind of thing ends up happening or it doesn't it doesn't quite line up i mean mm. you know do you ever find that where it has to be a lot of back and forth doesn't it oh definitely i think change and alteration and uh backtracking are incredibly important uh modes of function in the songwriting process i think if you in the same way that like life and experience and learning is never really linear it's it's mm. it's a it's kind of a whirlwind. Sometimes you find yourself in the same place that you were five months ago, you know, but you're a different person then, you know, because mm -hmm. you've had five months of experience and, and now you can adequately deal with that place that you find yourself in again. So um, alterations are a welcome, uh, uh, a welcome part, you know, uh, of the mechanics. So you do a lot of editing um, of the work? Yeah, yeah. I um I used to jot everything down handwritten. And the thing is, is that so many alterations would come up that, that it would just end up being this Mess. page or several pages of scribblings out and it was indecipherable. Mm. So um in the digital age, I'm so yeah. thankful now that we have things like Dropbox or, you know, that I ha I have Pro Tools on the go with me and I can always just spark something up and 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 get working. Um, because the, the, the alterations, you know, you, you have a backlog of everything that you once had, but at the same time, uh, you know, so you can look back or you can recall them if you want, but at the same time, you're also working with a clean, a plain sheet of paper mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, so, <laughs> um, yeah, so you can just refresh if you need, um, and then take what you've already established or you can, um, you know, just start messing things and tangling things up and see it. And, and then you start pulling things away again. And then all of a sudden the core idea of the song is there and everything just seems to fall in place. What are those tools that you're using? Are you just uh, those digital tools? Like, are you just using like Microsoft Word or Google Docs or? Yeah. So Microsoft Word um, and, uh, you know, voice memo, uh, the voice memo application on my iPhone is unbelievably helpful um now that i you know i don't ha i used to meticulously notate like okay so i come in with this first bit of the melody on the end of the mm. bar and <laughs> all all these like all these kind of things that that were very bespoke to my process but at the same time kind of you know unnecessarily roundabout um now i can just okay here's the guitar here's the melody um, and you know, you can number them as you go. So here's the first take of this, this try. And then I listen back and here's the second take. And you can just go through and go, actually, I prefer the first one to the rest. Cause I got to the nub of the issue better. Um, but more than anything, I love to have the chorus very much there. If I know I've got a great chorus, I can move forwards then with the song, knowing that the toughest aspect of, uh, of, of the songwriting process for me anyway is done and dusted and I can just enjoy the rest. Mm -hmm. so when we talk about the process behind um, the song, all right, 
um where, where right. did it come from and and i mean your chorus is one word so you know you yeah. have it there and it's got a great melody so that's that's <laughs> all you need right yeah i um i actually came up with uh the the idea of all right when we were still recording our first record young fraternity oh. um and i remember demoing it with the assistant engineer because our main producer ian Brody had gone home for a few days we were still in liverpool uh we told john uh john gray fantastic producer now um you know can we just still because we had this ssl desk console mm -hmm. that we at our disposal all the fantastic microphones um and pre's and all that sort of stuff, all the outboard equipment that you get in in a studio like elevator studios um and he was like yeah yeah let's let's see what you come up with um and i I've still got the original demo of it and it's blaming terrible. You know, the, the, the lyrics to the verse are, are so hackneyed and trite, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, how we were talking about phonetics earlier, I really was just trying to um, work syllabically with this melody that I was adamant was going to be the melody. And it, you know, it stayed that way all the way through. Um and uh yeah more than anything i think the song all right is really just about breaking out of the studio <laughs> you know because um by that point uh we'd we'd finished tracking young fraternity and i found it an incredibly wrenching experience because um like i say earlier i'm a bit of a control freak and having ian in control of the recording process i just wanted to be back on stage again you know i wanted to get out of the rooms i wanted to get out of the stuffy oppressive nature of the studio and i know you know you get some really aesthetically beautiful studios that are not in in the slightest sterile environments they're actually very creative environments but um because of all the expectations that the record label had of us and our manager and to some extent our families, because, you know, it was all very exciting. We'd been signed to Warner records and we were going to make a record in the studio and we're going to go out on tour. I just wanted to be back on the stage again where I felt most comfortable. And I think from that yearning pining that I, I had during the recording process came this very free sounding very open almost californian song um uh on our second record we actually have a song called california just about dreaming about going to california um you know i i just i just had these 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 dreams because i you know grew up in suburbia my my job at the time of writing young fraternity was working as a linen porter in a hotel. So I would collect the dirty sheets in the hotel rooms and package them up and send them off. It was all incredibly glamorous. <laughs> um, uh, but it, it gave me loads of time to think of ideas for songwriting. Um, and, you know, I listened to my favorite records and um, I didn't have to interact with too many people. Uh, and I'd go home every day from that job, pick up my guitar and the ideas would just spill out of me. Um, so by the time we got round to, uh, you know, signing with Warners and getting in the studio, I was so eager to get out on the road and all right was just about that tension, that conflict of, of doing the thing that I've always wanted to do, uh, which is being a rock band, being writing songs for a living, recording songs for a living and touring songs for a living. But at the same time, finding my, myself in a stasis, um, uh, 
of uh, being in an environment that I wasn't entirely comfortable with. But, you know, looking back, I was a young kid, you know, I don't think there was any environment I was entirely comfortable <laughs> with. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's actually really great about the song too, is that it's, you've written it in such a way, like you, you don't, you don't explicitly talk about recording studios or about that particular experience, but you've, you've written in such a way that it's, that's open to anyone who's, you know, uh, over, overcoming some kind of a difficulty in life in general, whatever, um, yeah. you know, and everything is going to be all right kind of thing. Right. So it's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a, it's a very universal message that, you know, this is what we always talk about, you know, with, with lyric writing, you start with something really intensely specific and personal, but if you generalize it to a, a, a certain extent, then it, it becomes much more open to, to the listener's um, story as well. Right. It's true. Yeah, cool. absolutely. And I think that's the beauty of it, really, is that, um, <clears throat> and it's kind of the same with with various mediums in, in uh, the arts culture, is that mm. there is so much that is handed over to the audience uh, for interpretation, and, and they can claim that piece of artwork for themselves. And I think what happened was, during that first record, I was... I was kind of freaked out by the idea that eventually these songs that I'd had for such a long time that I knew to be mine were going to be someone else's. So many people's, um, you know, depending on how many people would actually go out and buy the record, obviously, Mm -hmm. and how successful the the record was. But, um, you know, people would listen to it. They'd associate it with their own lives and the songs were no longer mine. And I'd got Mm -hmm. so used to those songs being mine. Mm. And the songs are very specific, you know, uh, Oh Yeah was written about a, a very specific, uh, friendly relationship I had with a with a girl living on my street, you know. Uh, Mary was a song I wrote for my mum after getting home from work and seeing her sat in front of the telly looking really, really sad one day. Mm. Um, and I think when I wrote All Right, I really wanted to experiment with how wide I could open that window towards interpretation on, on, on the, on the part of the audience. Um, and, uh, um, uh, how much agency that gave me and, and toying with how much agency it gave the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, I'm, I'm endlessly com- compelled by reception theory. You know, the idea that, uh, every time someone listens to a song, because of who they are, because of how different everyone is in mm-hmm. this world. Um, if it's the same song, the interpretation is always going to be to some extent wildly different can be, can be because of the environments, yeah. you know, obviously depending on the subject of the song. It probably should be as well. I think absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it's, um, it's, it's such a, a liberating experience mm-hmm. um, to hear something that in that very moment, though it though it is it in intentionally is not about you, suddenly becomes about you. Mm-hmm. And that is a a new connection forged between two people who've never met each other before. And that's such that's such a beautiful premise, isn't it? It, um, is, it really is. And we're so lucky to be able to partake in that. Absolutely. Um so you know, when people come up to me and and say, um, well, like, like what happened recently, actually, a very, very um, uh, sad situation. Um, a uh, a gent sent a message to me on Instagram saying that uh, in May last year, his his daughter died of cancer, uh, and he made uh, 
a collage of uh, videos of her and pictures of her with our song Rock and Roll Queen um, playing over the top because they used to play that song in the kitchen every morning and dance together. And uh, he came to one of our shows on our most recent tour uh, in Manchester at this wonderful new venue called Gorilla. Um, anyway, he turned up with with his wife and with a bunch of friends. And um, I, I, after the show, I, I you know, I, I, I made a beeline for him. I was like, I'm going to have to meet you in person. I have to talk to you. And I just had to thank him for letting me be some small part of Grace's life. Um, and, um, and, and part of his life. Um, and, uh, I felt so unworthy in that moment to be able to include myself as part of their, you know, even just a, a minuscule aspect of their narrative. Um, but that's what songwriting can do. That's, that's, that's how we can affect people. And, um, you know, we shouldn't take it lightly, yeah. but we should still enjoy it, you know. Yeah. Okay, well, let, let's take a, a full listen to um, the song All Right uh, by The Subways, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about it after. Till we see 
Okay, that was all right by the subways. My kind of song, two minutes and 51 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? I grew up on Motown music, so yeah, I yeah, like yeah. anything Ooh. under three minutes, 30 seconds. That's I, me. <laughs> I, I, I really love it in, in the instrumentation when the bass line is more melodic than the guitar part. Yeah. That's yeah. something that, you know, I, I never would have allowed on that first record. But, oh. um, you know, Charlotte was really finding herself when she went through uh, the process of recording that first record. And I think, you know, as I stated earlier, it was it was important to me as a songwriter and for my own personal uh, well-being and um, uh, my own songwriting journey to step back and allow Charlotte to explore that part of herself. And she was really into, well, she still is really into uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, you know, she she likes her her, her bass walks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I like to accommodate that as much as possible whilst also reminding her that, you know, I do love pop songs that yeah. they're what I grew up on and 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 that's kind of like, you know, that's that's how I want to um uh communicate to our to our audience through the medium of pop. How about you, Phil? What uh, what would you like about the song? Well, it's it's interesting. So it's it's a short song, it's got it's really two verses, a pre-chorus and a chorus. Mm-hmm. Um, and three distinct parts. Arrangement, I thought it was really interesting because you had those backing vocals, the ah, coming in on the first verse. And everyone, mm-hmm. I've had this discussion with, with, with a guitarist for, for, for my old band is, okay, you have a hook, when do you bring the hook in? Do you bring it into the mm-hmm. second verse so that there is a movement within the song? Or do you bring mm-hmm. it in right at the top? Mm-hmm. And that's a, very much of a hook. But it was right in at the at the at the start, and I was so I was actually surprised when I heard that because <laughs> it seemed like it was like a, a second or a third verse. But was there yeah. a conscious decision on that, or just because it was hooky? Or yeah, well, um, Charlotte came up with it. Uh, I loved it, and um, Butch, uh, the producer, uh, was. <sighs> I I loved it. I loved it every time he said it. But he was saying don't bore us get to the chorus and mm-hmm. i think that um when it came not just to you know the choruses but other phrases and especially with something like a middle eight you know i i i like to keep middle eights nice and concise and then roll mm-hmm. on from there whether it's into a solo or uh, a new version of the chorus and it just um uh i think as soon as i heard charlotte do the ah, ah i was like straight off you know mm-hmm. come come right in and uh, a lot of the songs on the first record and some on the second um, involve uh, dual vocals between me and Charlotte offering, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, different opinions, um, uh, which uh, whilst in some respects can restrict, uh, restrict the interpretation of the song, um, mm-hmm. kind of uh, uh, diversifies and colours the the intentional narrative of the song from on on the songwriter's uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, uh, when Charlotte had a, a, a line, uh, I was like, just, just put it right in there and, you know, yeah, straight up. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it also works really well because every section is super short, like your verse mm-hmm. comes in and out and then you get into your pre-chorus and then you're like, it's, it's, it's all very short and concise mm-hmm. as it is. So to do the, the O's, Oh, I was right, right off the bat. I think it, it totally works. The, the thing I really like about this, and and and, and again, this the, this is the weird thing about us doing this on the podcast. And and if you're listening to the podcast, if you're looking at the lyric sheet, which we will post up on the on the website on songfun.ca, if you're looking at the the lyric sheet, there's a verse, there's a, a pre-chorus. You're calling a B verse, and then the chorus. 
but there's a very tight relationship between the pre-chorus and 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 the mm. chorus because the all right rhymes with the first line of the pre-chorus right mm. so it's very it, it, it mm. it's it is almost like one section it's almost like a verse refrain kind of structure if you if you don't label things on the lyric sheet then it's it's open mm. to interpretation what you're going to call it i would push back on that because i think the the rhythmic change uh, that goes into the pre-chorus really does differentiate it from the verse. Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm talking about the relationship between the pre-chorus and the chorus. Right, right, yeah. Th that's a very tight relationship. And so yeah. we see the light, all right, all right, all right. And then the second time around, the reasons why, all right, all right, all right. Like it mm. it, it, it just seems tighter in, 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 in that sense. And it also helps that your chorus is dead simple. It's all right, yeah. all right, all right, all right. Same melody every single time. Yeah. And... You know, if it, it in, in in the sense that it doesn't it doesn't stand alone by itself. It's not just the word "all right" without any context. It's another yeah. chance, and it will be all right. Yeah, like I've, that, I've that's, never... that, 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 that's actually the complete thought, even though yeah. structurally, melodically, it's a little bit a Different. little bit detached from that. That is the yeah. thought, so it it totally works. That I've never actually thought of it in that way before mm. consequentially um and i really appreciate you bringing that up because cool. i came up with the chorus all right i knew i was going to say all right because i just wanted everything to be all right and mm -hmm. um, i wanted to feel all right i wanted to feel comfortable um and i also kind of you know uh i think in those pre-choruses i'm i'm talking to the listener i'm saying mm -hmm. it's gonna be cool yeah. um but you know, and so I, I wrote the 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 what I call the B verse, uh, mm -hmm. leading up to that as a reason for saying all right. But I've never actually thought of it. The word all right really is just a hangover from the pre-chorus, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? In a lot of ways, it is. Yeah. And, and you you just thought about it maybe in the opposite direction than it than it yeah. occurs in the song, which is perfectly fine. I mean, no, I mean, a lot of people start with their chorus and then work backwards, right? Yeah. Or start with the bridge and work backwards, or, or whatever the case may be. But yeah. but the, the 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 point is they're connected whether which you know chicken or the egg yeah matters, but <laughs> you know it's just amazing that it's never really occurred to me that they're mm -hmm. so you know that they're, they're so it, the chorus is so dependent on the pre-chorus until you just mentioned it having played it for eighteen years now <laughs> and then that just goes back to you 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 talking about earlier about you know the interpretation of of a listener mm. being how how they see it can can be largely different than how you conceived it. Yeah, uh, it can be equally valid, and and it and yeah, yeah. And, and it changes the it changes your view on it, perhaps. Yeah, you learn about your own song. So yeah. sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so I've got a big macro question, and it's something I've always mm -hmm. wondered about. So when I was really really young, punk hit. So I kind of came into my teenage years. Basically, all my friends looked to the UK. And mm. rock music has really been based out of the US or the UK. And they're both kind of looking at each other, bouncing ideas. Mm. So I grew up with, you know, the Smiths and Blur and Oasis and, and Depeche Mode. And basically everyone who was cool was from the UK to the point where Toronto bands were singing with fake British accents. Yeah. That was the people who we thought were cool. And of course, when you're young, that's what you do. Yeah. This doesn't sound terribly UK-ish. No. <laughs> except it does on the pre-course. Right. There is that sort of that as a sort of that sort of UK lilt to it. And it's a very subtle difference in approach to melody and song mm. construction, which is different from, from a US uh, basis. 
it, it sort of switches into something that's very kind of UK-ish in the in the pre in the pre-chorus, and then the chorus is very sort of US. Like it sounds like a very much like a yeah. Now I do a lot of British music because I you know I love Johnny Marr and I love The Smiths and mm. I love Morrissey's lyrics. I don't love Morrissey. No, of course I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah, because nobody does anymore. <laughs> how do you, how how did that man become such an asshat? I oh do my lord, know. I know. Oh, okay. <laughs> and you know. I know he's gay, and I know this is a bit of generalization, but I expect more from gay people. Mm. You know? You'd think that a, a member of a marginalized community would would would, yeah. would feel for other marginalized yeah. communities rather than wish to oppress them. Mm. It's a it's a it's a weird contradiction that seems to be happening a lot at the moment. Yeah, because you look so you know you've grown up in Motown, which is of course my love mm. of mine. That is, is your stuff more sort of U.S. kind of focused, or is it just, or is it just who you are? I'm, 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 I'm very uh, aware of the constant, the perennial game of tennis that <laughs> the uh, of artistic tennis that the U.K. and the U.S. have played across the Atlantic, For probably decades. since the 1950s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and you know you can hear it in in a lot of Bowie's records that you know that the the, um, the American influence is seeping in, and then you can hear the influence of Bowie in American records. <laughs> so um, I have, whilst I grew up. Uh, uh, during a time of like real, uh, um, there was just kind of an explosion of British music in the nineties and early noughties. Um, and, uh, I, I was mocked, I think for my love of Americana and American music. Um, I, uh, Nirvana mm -hmm. were the first band that were my band. Uh, so, you know, I, I, um, oh, Kurt Cobain, so um, good. My hero in so many respects. You look back and you just think so ahead of his time, um, so compassionate, so empathetic, mm -hmm. um, and so bold. Mm -hmm. You know, I think at the time people thought of him as as kind of a whiner and a complainer, but actually he was these were legitimate issues and problems within and without the music industry and at society at large that that he was confronting and and holding a mirror up to mm -hmm. um but songwriting wise um i think uh uh the nirvana template very much appealed to me and so did like you know you listen to all right and though it doesn't really sound all that much like nirvana the the melody it it does have a kind mm -hmm. of um bleach esque up and down, you know, swing mm -hmm. to yeah. it. Um, yeah, that actually is probably more pop than Cobain would ever, yeah. <laughs> ever have, uh, gone for. Um, but yeah, I um, I've never really been all that ashamed of how much I love American music. I remember when we went over for our first American tour, and I heard um, Fallout Boy on. The, oh, yeah. on the taxi stereo and I turned to Charlotte in the cab and I just went we have to make a record here uh, we need to make a record that sounds as huge and I had I could not contemplate making a, a record that sounded so punchy it was punching me in the face through those speakers and that's why we ended up going with Butch Vig to record All or Nothing and which mm. which is um the uh the record that all, uh, all right is on so yeah 
phrase to phrase, I will find myself sometimes on this side of the Atlantic, sometimes on that side of the Atlantic, (laughs) shamelessly. (laughs) Perfectly legitimate. I mean, why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly your English accent slips in there somewhere. But on, on, on the whole, on the whole, it does sound, I mean, yeah, at a certain the, point, who cares? It's a great song. I think that um, sometimes um, some lyrics and some approaches are much easier to sing uh, with a uh, with a localized accent and with, you know, sometimes adding idioms and dialectical uh, dialectics um, can really help with that process. You listen to the first record by the Arctic Monkeys and it's so mm. parochially yeah. Yorkshire, yeah. Um, not even just British. So, uh, uh, it's so um, uh, reflective yeah. of a very specific place in Yorkshire um, that relies on very, you know, explicit references to things that are of that place and experiences that are of that place. Um, and I think some some of the melodies, especially on the second record, because the vowels are so elongated, mm-hmm. it almost becomes impossible to impose my North London accent oh, on them. Right. Yeah. It would it would be an affectation if I were to say mm. this is me being very British. So mm-hmm. um, and and also it comes after years of singing Smokey Robinson and yeah. the Supremes yeah. and. Uh, you know, uh, Nirvana and, you know, all those, all those artists I grew up in, even Earth, Wind and Fire. So, yeah. Yeah. Right on. That's great. So what's, uh, <laughs> what's coming up next, uh, uh, for you? Um, so we are, uh, about to hit Europe, uh, uh, touring our fifth album, Uncertain Joys. Uh, in the summer, we're going to be doing UK and European festivals. Later in the year, we're going to uh, probably wrap, wrap things up a little bit um, over here and uh, hopefully go over to America uh, and Canada and hopefully Australia and Japan. Um, and then we're going to finish up 2024 with some big festivals all over the world. So uh, a lot a lot ahead. Um, it It's kind of, um, you know, it's... Uh, overwhelming but at the same time really exciting because uh, after such an extended period of doing almost nothing <laughs> and having this record in our locker and, and just wanting so many people to hear it um i, I just want to get my boots on and get on that stage and just play and, and yeah, that's make sure you luckily, got, uh, thank make sure you got toronto on your list oh 100 percent. all right 100 percent. to st john's but that's okay yeah, you got to go to St. John's for... <laughs> well, it's a lot like Ireland, so that might make you feel more... I love it. Well, I think we're just going to have to have coffee anyway, aren't we? Please so do. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> have a cup of tea? Okay, all right. Cup of that's, tea, that's it. Yeah. Uh, that's about all the time we have on Sound Talk Radio. Special thanks to Billy Lund of the Subways. Um, so what's what's your... Uh, where, where can our listeners find out more about you and your music? So uh, website is thesubways.net. You can find us on Facebook slash the subways, uh, Twitter, the subways, Instagram, the subways. Mm-hmm. Nice yeah. and easy. Oh, nice and easy. And we will link to all that <laughs> stuff from our uh, show post on sontag.ca. And we want to hear from you, our listeners. So please send your comments on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram to at Songtalk Radio or send us an email feedback at songtalk.ca. Also be sure to check out our YouTube channel for live performance videos and full episodes. Subscribe today to the Songtalk Radio podcast on your favorite podcast provider. And you can find links to all the products, books, and web services we mention on the show on our resources page on the 
website. And uh, wherever you are in the world, please join us online via Zoom at our next monthly uh, Song Talk Meetup. It's free to join on meetup.com and free to attend the meetup. Bring a song and a lyric sheet and get constructive feedback from other songwriters. Stop by songtalk.ca. And uh, the super good news um, that we just got this week is that we will be resuming uh, live uh, in-person meetups again, Ooh, finally, after the finally. pandemic at the Transact um, Club in, in Toronto. So for our Toronto listeners, uh, look forward to um, stay tuned on the meetup.com uh, page and uh, you'll be notified as to when that's going to be happening. should be quite soon. Um, and uh, you can follow me at uh, neomodi.com. You can follow Phil. PhilEmery.ca. And uh, Billy, what's, what's the Subway's favorite social media channel? Instagram. Instagram. Hills yeah, but it's the funnest place. Well, I think <laughs> our, our, our band account follows mostly dog accounts, so <laughs> animal accounts. It's just so heartening and so lovely. Yes. Subway's the dog. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for listening. You guys need a mascot now. Thanks for listening. And uh, be sure to stop by the website songtalk.ca to browse past shows and find out how you can be a guest. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and keep on writing. Today, we forgot that. Thank you for watching.